Happy Hanukkah. May this be a festival of lights that illuminates each one of you in every possible way, physical illumination and brilliance, spiritual illumination and brilliance, psychological and emotional illumination. There's nothing like the power of light. Light brightens things, it clarifies things, it illuminates and allows us to see the path which is often shrouded in darkness. There are so many messages that Hanukkah provides us, and this class, this special Hanukkah program, we'll be speaking about the Kabbalah of fire. Fire. We know that fire is a very paradoxical force in our lives. As they say, you can't live with, live with it, you can't live without it. Get too close to fire, or allow the fire to become too strong and too close to you. God forbid it can wreak devastation. Literally consuming everything in its path. Just witness what we just saw, the devastation in California, the wildfires. And the power that fire drives, the the terrifying power of fire drives terror in our hearts. God forbid no one should ever know of it. But it's a very powerful force that can be very destructive. And yet, life is impossible to be. Existence is impossible without the power of fire. The power of fire, the warmth and the light that it generates. If the sun were just a number of miles farther from Earth, we would never be, would not be inhabitable, a habitable planet. If the sun were too close, it would also not be habitable. So we need the perfect balance, balance between our relationship with fire. Not too close, not too far. But what exactly is fire? And what role does it really play in our lives? That's what we're going to be addressing. And hence the name the Kabbalah of fire. Kabbalah signifying the idea of dissecting. We will dissect the anatomy and the soul of fire. Because you see, Kabbalistic teachings, the mystical teachings that teach that everything in existence is made up of a body and a soul. Not just the human being, everything. Some may call form and function, matter and spirit. Think of it like the letters on a page will be the body. The ideas these letters convey, these words convey, is the soul. So everything in existence has this structure, the mechanics, and it has the spirit, it has the deeper meaning, it has the message it's conveying. And you can apply this across the board. So when we talk about an element like fire, same with water, there's the physical properties that we relate to, and the dangers and the benefits of fire. But there's the soul of fire. It's so-called archetype. It's spiritual counterpart. And this is where the mystical teachings are so fascinating. Because they dissect just like a physicist. We dissect matter and break it down from the elements down to its molecules and the molecules down to its atomic structure and the atomic to the subatomic to the sub-subatomic. And the same thing chemistry does, same thing biology does. So the metaphysical, the mystical, the Kabbalistic, the esoteric breaks it down even further into the spiritual DNA, the spiritual building blocks that define every particular item, in this case, fire. 
So that's what we want to address. Because whenever you get to the core, you get to the root of, of the, its spiritual makeup, it helps us also understand its physical makeup. Because remember, it works the other way around. First starts with its soul, and then it manifests in a garment called the body. So whenever you want to look at something, you don't want to just look at the symptoms. You don't just want to look at the outer projection. You want to know what are the forces, what's making it tick from within. And there's much to be said and taught in the literature, especially in the mystical literature, on this thing called fire. In Hebrew, esh, or ner, we will use flames. Hanukkah, we light the flames of Hanukkah, the lights of Hanukkah. So when you look in the Bible itself, you'll find immediately fire mentioned a number of, number of times. Besides the fires that we talk about in a negative way, which I'm not going to address, the fire that consumes Sodom and Gomorrah. But we talk about fire, we talk about light, let there be light, right? Day one of creation. You talk about <clears throat> the flames of the altar that consumed the offerings that were brought. We talk about the menorah, the menorah that was lit each day in the temple which actually Hanukkah commemorates and rededicates after it was desecrated by the Greco-Syrians in the period of time when Hanukkah happened. The menorah, which was lighting actual flames with pure olive oil and a flame rising on its own on the seven-branched candelabra menorah in the temple. And then there's Hanukkah flames and there's Shabbat candles and there's holiday candles. And even when it comes to, God forbid, the negative, when a person passes away, we light a yisker candle, a flame. Why? Why a flame so significant? So the brief of it is because of a verse in Mishlei, in the book of Proverbs, a beautiful verse. It says, Ner Hashem nishmat adam. The flame of God, or the candle of God, the lamp of God, is the soul of a human being. Huh. Comparing a flame to a soul. So though we cannot see a soul, we could see flames, a flame is the closest, appro- closest approximation reflecting what a soul looks like and the properties of a soul and how it behaves. So the flame is more than just a flame. Flame is actually, for us, a model. You could say a prototype of what the soul is truly like. And by studying a flame, flames, you can understand and get a sense of what your spirit is like. Now, that's not just an academic exercise. It actually teaches you what you're like, and therefore, you can then understand your yearnings, your cravings, your behavior, your inclinations, what to do about it, how to harness it. So it really lies at the heart of all growth and success and productivity in life, which all comes from the human spirit, which is compared to the flame. So we'll begin with the psychological, uh, the psychological building blocks, and we're going to move from that to the more Kabbalistic and mystical ones in this discussion. And all of it comes together to give us a clearer picture of who we are, what makes us tick, what are the forces that define and shape us from within, which then informs and teaches us what we do without, meaning on the external, on the surface level. And you want to take control of your life because you don't, you, want, you don't want your actions to control your insides. You want your insides to define your actions. Who you are should define what you do, not what you do defines who you are. Even though actions are vital because that's where it comes into concrete 
concrete, practical, and tangible reality, but you want it to be informed from within, the more you understand how your soul works. This flame within you, this divine flame within you, the, more, the better you can know how to live your life in the healthiest and best way possible. So with that, let's study your flame. Let's study your flame. What do we see when we look at a flame? Several things. Flame, fire. We see, number one, not in order of a priority, just to point out certain things that makes it different than other objects. Number one, it rises. The flame is always rising. Everything else falls. Water falls. Everything else is subject to the laws of gravity. A flame defies gravity. It's always seeking to look up. It's the only physical thing with our eyes that we can see. There are obviously gases like helium and other gases that, that are lighter than gravity, and that's why we put them in a balloon. The balloon floats upward unless you tie it down. But that you need a balloon. You don't see the gas. Here, a flame, you actually see it. Every time you light a flame, look at it. The flame is going up. An extension of that is the flame is always flickering. Because in a way, it's not, I don't know, the, the word battle, but it definitely has this tension with the wick. So it flickers. Even a smooth flame, if you look closely, it's, it's always moving. It's always moving. It's always restless. Next thing about a flame, it gives off warmth. Next thing, it illuminates. If you're in a dark room and you turn on a flame, it illuminates. So those are several of the properties that will teach us what the nature of a soul is. There's more, but I be- let me begin with those. So let's talk about the two forces within each one of us. Every human being on earth, man or woman, child or adult, any persuasion, race, religion, faith, no faith, whatever it may be, has at least two voices inside of them. You could even say two inclinations. One is the voice of survival. They need to survive. They need to take care of your physical needs, whether it's food, drink, shelter, clothing, hygiene, having a job, everything that is included in the area of surviving. Surviving in this world requires all those items and more. Then there's another part within us. We'll call it the transcendent voice. This voice is not satisfied. This, I would say even more than voice, this part of us is not satisfied with just surviving and and making ends meet. It sometimes ends up being there, but that's not satisfied. It's a restless spirit. It has a measure of angst. Angst means always seeking to grow, to get more, to be more successful. It's a natural restlessness of the human spirit to succeed. Some of us have more of it, some less, but everybody has it. Now, there are people who try to numb that voice because it makes them anxious. But the healthy human being has that. We see from little children. They're always moving about, always exploring, always looking. And that's a natural human spirit throughout our lifetimes. It's true that many of us have attempted an attempt to, as I said, quiet it down or almost silence it, God forbid. But that's like silencing your spirit. When someone says to me or someone says, I'm resigned, you know, I have no more expectations. It's a tragedy if someone says that. That means your spirit, which is constantly gnawing at you to grow and succeed, 
you're shutting it down, silencing it, ignoring it, for whatever reason. Some of us don't have the courage, some of us feel afraid, fear of failure, insecurities, all kinds of forces, all kinds of factors, being disappointed time and again. And we start giving up on ourselves. The saddest thing you hear when you tell, someone tells you, you know, after all these years, I tried, tried, I decided, if I come out at the end of a day, not worse than I started the day, I'm already happy. Damage control. Defense. When you have so much potential. So the restlessness of the soul reflected in the restlessness of the flame, soul being the flame, flame of God, divine flame within you, is a very healthy element. I always mention the story with a cardiologist who I know, come to the classes, my classes over the years. Difficult life, sweet, sweet soul, but difficult at home, health matters, other matters. And one day he says to me, Rabbi Jacobs, please give me a blessing. One day of total peace, total bliss. I don't know if you use the word animal bliss. So I said to him, you mean like a flat line? Cardiologist that he is, he says, no, 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 no. A flat line, if you see a cardiogram with a flat line, that's not a good sign. Yes, it's very peaceful. There's no bumps. There's no valleys and no peaks. But it's also death. A healthy cardiogram, a wave, a constant wave, contraction, expansion, contraction, expansion. That's the healthy spirit at work. Exactly like a flame. Not too high, not too low, but constantly flickering, constantly seeking, licking the air, looking upward, and then returning to the wick. In the Kabbalistic language, they use a phrase, a verse, in the book of Ezekiel that says, V'achai is the life energy, or the life force. Rotsevashuv. Runs and returns. Exactly. Runs and returns. Exhale, inhale. And the balance of that is the key to a successful life and a healthy life. Too much, too high of a peak is too much anxiety. Too low of a value is too much resolution. You need to have the proper balance between tension and resolution. Between seeking and internalizing and integration. Transcendence and your feet firmly planted on the ground so you can internalize the experience. Too much transcendence, can you can lose sight of reality, lose touch, and not be grounded. Too much grounding, you lose sight of looking up into the skies, to the heavens, looking up and, and aspiring for something greater. Constant balance. We'll talk a little later about the deeper meaning of this Rotsay and Shuv, this dual movement, the pulse of existence, all existence, every atom, is pulsating, all of existence is pulsating. Like a pulse. <clears throat> like the heartbeat, like the breath. Everything is breathing. And the breath is exactly that, that cycle. But getting it back to the personal, the need for a restlessness, a healthy restlessness, that looks to transcend, looks up, wants beyond what we have. And then internalizing it only to climb the next rung of the ladder as it climbs up. So to use a story I often tell, <clears throat> and this I also capture in the first chapter of my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, 
The general theme is soul and body is obviously about the flame. Where the Tzemach Tzedek, as a child, was playing with other children on a ladder. They were climbing up and down the ladder. Most of the children, all the children were afraid to climb to the top. And he, the Tzemach Tzedek, as a little boy, was the only one who had the courage to climb all the way to the top. Later, his grandfather said to him, famous Rabbi Shnei Zalman of the Adi, the Alter Rebbe, why were you the only one that had the courage to climb to the top? And the little boy answered. He says, Zayda, Grandpa. Because the other children, when they were climbing, they kept looking down. So they saw how high they were. They were afraid to climb higher. They realized how high I am. I, as I was climbing, I kept looking up. And I saw how low I was. So it motivated me to climb higher. Of course, that's why he turned out to be the Tzemach Sadiq a great mystic and teacher and master of his own. <clears throat> when you look down, when you look at past achievements, or you hang around with people who have accomplished less than you, then it usually brings you down a level. Because you say, look how much I've done compared to them. Look how much I have already under my belt. But when you look up, you look at things you've not yet achieved, what you're capable of achieving, but you've not reached yet. Or you're around people who have achieved more than you do, which causes you to look up, then you're motivated to go up and up and up. And that's a choice we make all the time. Now we need again the balance. But thus the two voices. The voice of the spirit of the soul is like a flame reaching upward. The voice of the body and physical and survival needs is the wick grounding you. Yes, we need both. Without a body, we're not grounded. Without a soul, we have no dreams. And we need them to join together in a proper balance. So when you look at the Hanukkah flames, that's exactly the story they tell us. And indeed, there's an expression from the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, who said, We need to listen to what the flames tell us. They tell us a story, a narrative. And it's the narrative of our soul, of our lives. First message being, are you restless enough? Two, are you too restless and do you have some resolution? Are you able to internalize, ground it, concretize it? That's lesson number one. Lesson number two, what the flame teaches the soul, is that it has the ability, that it, is, it warms its environment. When you come into a room and you meet people, do they get warmer? Do they feel more nurtured? Do they feel more comfortable? Or the opposite. It's a hard thing to measure because usually people are not going to tell you what you make them feel like. But sometimes you say, no, when I'm near that person, I always feel uplifted. I feel warm. I feel love. I feel a positive energy. And hand in hand goes, might as well mention the next thing in the flame, the illumination. I feel illuminated. I feel clarity. They're not exactly the same thing. They're two separate things. But we can talk about them simultaneously. So, Wherever you go, you are a flame. Is your soul warming others? Which means then your soul is active. If you're busy with survival, with the wick, not the flame, more or less you're not bringing warmth to another. You may help them because they help you, but warmth is a result of love, is a result of the spirit of a person. If it's survival, then it's a cold world. We each, we may not be competing all the time, but it's about me surviving, and that means we compete over resources, 
and it's really very self-oriented. The flame that is restless, that is transcendent, is a natural warmer. When you're in a transcendent state, you warm, you love, you're kind, you're virtuous, you're generous, you're compassionate. And you give off light. You illuminate. People feel more clarity. You have the ability to see through the clouds, the smoke screens. And you help others do the same. So this isn't just a nice metaphor. The flame is actually, essentially, the soul is a flame. It's just not a physical flame. It's a spiritual flame. And it's active within us. And we have every moment, we have access to it. To allow, to, to allow us to actualize that restless, transcendent nature, the flickering, the constant search to go higher, the warmth it exudes, and the illumination it provides. And we all can be doing those three things all the time. You know, when you talk about people as being, let's say, takers versus givers, it's another way of putting it. A parasite, a narcissist, is busy consuming, busy taking. A flame is busy giving. And here's the next interesting property with a flame. As much as you give, you don't get diminished. Look at a flame. When a flame ignites another flame, as opposed to everything else in this world, if one thing gives of itself to another, it has less. Food, drink, When it comes to a flame, you light another flame. The first flame does not get diminished. It gets stronger because now it has another flame. And when they come together, what happens? You ever see it melts into one, a greater flame. I mean, there are other things like this, for example, wisdom, which actually is also compared to a flame. So materialistic things, materialism divides, and therefore, when you give to another, you have less. You may do it anyway, but physically you have less. Love. Light, warmth, illumination. When you light another, you can light ad infinitum forever and ever and not get diminished, not only not get diminished, so much more for light is there, in the, is there in the world because of that original flame. All resulting from one choice. I will look up instead of look down. Instead of looking me, 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 the arrow pointing, what I need is what am I needed for? What am I offering? What am I giving? That question changes everything. It ignites, or I should say, it fans the flame of your soul and activates it. When you're in the mode of take, 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 me, 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 your flame goes back into a pilot fashion, like a pilot flame. It's always there, but it's not being fanned. It's not being expressed. And what, is for, what force is then being expressed? Things I need. And it's about me and you looking down and you're basically dealing with the survival elements of life. Many people gravitate to that because it's either easier, it's what they're familiar with, it's short-sighted, instant gratification. But give it a little thought and you tell me, which is ultimately more gratifying? Which more reflects who you truly are? Are you more of a flame or like a wick? So we need the balance but we must have the flame alive. And when it's alive, it grows. And that's why every day of Hanukkah, we add another flame. In addition to the growth that each flame rises up, we actually add another flame. Tonight was fourth night of Hanukkah. Tomorrow will be the fifth. We light a fifth flame. 
we always increase in matters of holiness. Let's talk more about the illumination now. Illumination, just like warmth, warms something that may be cold, illumination radiates in something that may be dark. Now, dark is physical darkness, and a light, a little light, dispels much darkness. As opposed to fire and water, where fire and water are equal opponents, so to speak, equal adversaries, adversaries. I always confuse that one. Equal adversaries. Enough fire can evaporate large bodies of water. Enough water can extinguish large fires. And there's a battle going on when water and fire meet. With a flame and darkness, light and darkness, you don't have that. Light naturally dispels darkness. No battle. If there's a no light, so darkness is the absence of light. But when there's a little light, it dispels the darkness. If you need to, to illuminate a larger room, you need more light. But the area where light enters, you see automatically. It's a tremendous lesson as well in context of what we're describing. That very often the resistance that people show to whatever it may be, to, your, to, your, to you, to, to values, to interests, the battles and divisiveness we often experience, is not always a force. It's sometimes simply the absence of light. It's ignorance. And when you illuminate and you educate and you teach... You provide clarity, and that clarity automatically dispels ignorance. Very many of us stereotype prejudice, biases, based on ignorance. Ignorance is the absence of light. It doesn't have a force of its own. It can become a force of its own when you dwell on it and live by it. But in essence, it's based on a false premise. A false premise means you're living in the dark, you're blinded by your own prejudices or biases or what others have brainwashed you or in some way programmed you. So how do you get out of a situation where you're so subjectively trapped? You light a flame. Bring a little soul into the picture. Step back and say, you know what? Let me look at this with fresh eyes. Maybe I don't have it all figured out. It's a very healthy exercise for all of us. Maybe let me look at it with some light. Shed new light. And put your your biases aside, your prejudices aside, and you'd be surprised. You may discover something new. And when that new light enters, it automatically dispels the prejudice and the darkness, you say to yourself, what was I thinking? This happens all the time when you allow it to happen. And you have that power as well. So you see now we're going into deeper lessons, further lessons that literally affect every aspect of our lives. So I've mentioned so far transcendence. I've mentioned illumination, warmth, illumination. We talked about naturally dispelling and we've spoken about not being diminished. It only grows when you share, as it is with love. Now there's more to share about this, much more to talk about. But these are the key principles. I want to take it now, go back to that verse I stated, and the energy runs to and fro. Yearning, returning, or tension and resolution. Looking up and drawing it back in. Then looking up again. Exhale and inhale, the heartbeat, the pulse. So the Kabbalists, and especially the Hasidic masters, talk a lot about this. They say in all dimensions, in the entire cosmic order, in the cosmos, as well as into the, in the microcosm, is the macrocosm, the microcosm, the pulsating force is a constant everywhere. It's necessary. And different reasons are given for it, 
Different reasons are given for it. But one of the primary reasons is because it, creates, it keeps the balance. If you only had yearning and not returning, that could overwhelm us. If you only had returning and, and annihilate us, if you only had returning, only have the resolution without that angst, you have no growth. So Ratzu is a tremendous force. What it does is, think of it like a river flowing from one source, from the source to us. This way it's constantly going to the source, refreshing and renewing its energy as it brings it to our, to our reality. And it's a constant flow. The breath, we inhale fresh air. We exhale the toxins and the carbon dioxide and so on. And then we breathe again fresh air. That air is oxygen provided for the blood that gives us life. But then we have to exhale to get rid of, as I said, the toxins. This is a process. On a spiritual and psychological level, it's also the same thing. You learn something new. That's reaching up. You internalize it and make it part of who you are. That's internalizing. Shuv. But it's not a one-time process. Then you go and you look up again. You seek again to the next level. What yesterday's fresh experiences are now, now become your norm. So you need new fresh experiences. And the restlessness never ceases. The curiosity never ceases. You're always looking and seeking. You internalize. And this is across the board true throughout all of existence. Everywhere you have this element of this back and forth, which really creates this, this type of interface that connects and relates the most transcendent experiences with internalizing experiences. So when we think about the divine essence, as the mystics put it, which is beyond any form of expression, beyond any form of experience, how can we internalize that if we don't have the Ratzai Vishuv? We either will be consumed by it, like by fire, or we'll be so far away from it, we'll never really appreciate it. And that's the balance that creates not too close, not too far, and constantly growing. But it's not going back in circles. Every time you reach, like climbing a ladder, every step you take, you get to the next step. Then the next step takes you to the next step. And it is an infinite and eternal journey, journey. And that's what makes life so interesting and unique. People talk about boredom. They talk about monotony. The more things change, the more they stay the same. All the resignation. That's because they don't have the, igni- the ignition the stimulation of their soul, the fire, if they had that, you'd never be bored. Every day, every minute, the pulse is pulsating and seeking new energy, new experiences, and then looking to internalize it. So how can we get so trapped in our monotony? Because we ignore that part and we look for what is here, the immediate here and now, which essentially is a killer of the soul's adventurous nature the free spirit of the soul. Look how music, music, has captivated a generation. Music is a perfect example of a rotsi and shuv. First of all, music itself, the rhythm, is a pulsating one. Whatever the sound may be like, it's pulsating, it's constantly moving. Music is not a static thing. And what does it do? It resonates within the rhythm of our souls. We'll sing along, 
Our foot will tap to the song, will dance. Why? Because music is rhythm, the, the rhythm, the rhythmic the the pulse of music activates and resonates with the rhythmic pulse, pulse of your soul and your spirit. So it's not a surprise music is identified with soul. Someone says, music, that touches me. Religion, faith, that's just dogma. But that's because you're not experiencing it in a musical way. So music is a perfect example of and dance and music and, and how it touches us. It makes us come alive. People say, I hear music, I come alive. I break out in a dance. You close your eyes. You wave your arms. Loose, free. Release. Every form of energy is a release and then a return. A high and a internalization. Music captures that in a beautiful way. That's why song is so vital in the spiritual journey, the psychological journey. I'm a big believer in music therapy in that sense. Using music like a flame to activate. In a sense, you can say what a flame is in visual, music is in the audio world. Music we hear with our ears, the rhythm. A flame is the rhythm that we see and experience as well. Both of them we experience in the rhythm of our pulse, pulsating life. And when you touch that, when you're able to connect to that power line, the main power line that's pulsating, life becomes an ongoing adventure, ongoing excitement. It's always a battle because there's the other voice that's seeking comfort, seeking no challenges, looking for that bliss, just let me have bliss without effort. You know, we have that laziness within us. We have that lethargy. You know, what I always talk about, the, the art of the couch potato, that we've, only human beings are the ones, everything in earth, every creature, every vegetable, every animal, even, even the inanimate, is pulsating the atomic structure. The seasons are always changing. Everything is mobile. Life is mobile. In the words of Maimonides, everything that's alive is moving. Now, moving could be physically moving, but it means it's a movement. It's in a state of, of flux all the time. You ever stand by an ocean all night? The ocean, the waves. is Again, the waves are another good example. They come, rush in, a wave, the crest, and then it settles. Rotse and shuv. So wherever you look, there's change. But the human being is, try, is trying to master the art of doing nothing. Like someone once told me, more than one person, but one I remember vividly, you know, I think I've come to my goal. I've mastered the art of doing nothing and feeling fine. I said, yeah, you know what? That to me is a tragedy. That's not some celebration. Can't resist telling the joke. Guy's sitting, an old man is sitting on a bench one morning all depressed, his friend comes over and says to him, why are you so down? He says, my wife is really upset at me. Nothing new, she's always been upset at you for the last 60 years. No, but today is something special. What happened? So this morning, when she went to work, she asked me, what am I going to be doing today? And I said, nothing. She looked at me, and she said, nothing. You said that yesterday, when I asked you what you're going to be doing. You also said nothing. So I told her, yes, honey, but I wasn't finished. I wasn't finished doing nothing. 
This is the bizarre, even absurd part of the human nature where we can seek and feel it's almost fulfillment, almost like a goal, a dream. I can do nothing and feel fine. But that's not you. The nature of the human being is as we were when we were young children. And that spirit never dies. Even though the body, the arteries may harden, a person's willpower may change, may weaken. Other things may wane, but the soul never dies. The soul never gets young, older. The soul only gets more vibrant. But it's the body. You can have a flame that is waiting to be released, but it could be that your attitude is not allowing it to be released. So it remains trapped and say, you know, I'm going to retire. I'm waiting. My life is almost over anyway. That is antithetical to the spirit's nature. That's why you see those people with the sparkle in the eye even if they're 90 years old. And yes, they may be in physically not the same strength when they were 30. But the spirit is alive, the drive, the revolution even. And they have to figure out how to contend with their physical limitations. But why would a spirit change? If anything, they have more experience, more know-how, more knowledge, more seasoning, more maturity. They can inspire others. They can inspire younger people who may be able to get the job done easier because they have the tools and the physical body for it. But the spirit, the spirit is always alive. And what it even lives on even after, even after, the body, after the body dies in the soul. What do you think happens with the soul? Then in a way it's unencumbered and unfettered by the limitations of the physical existence. But let us talk about things here in our reality. So the flames teach us you are a living flame, a walking menorah, a walking flame that is brimming with pulsating energy, with the ability to transcend again and again and again, to internalize it in the process, to warm, to illuminate your environment with that same transcendence, and they're doing so only growing, not decreasing, but only growing. And all the other messages and lessons that I shared before, and many more, if you apply yourself, look at those flames, study them, and you'll derive tremendous lessons, life lessons, above all, ones that reflect who you are. So you ever look at music, when you look at the music, let's say, even though music is sound, but sometimes they, you can see the gauging of the, the bars, the volume. It looks like a flame, right? Exactly like that. When you record something and the recording is showing you the, the volume of your recording, it looks like a flame. So as I said, a flame and music go hand in hand. And your soul, all three hand in hand. Eilam shana nefesh is the three triad. Space, time, and soul. All of them are constantly pulsating. And in this case, we're also talking about the visual, the audio. Everywhere you look, you'll see this mobility, you'll see this movement and this growth. And when you align yourself with these rhythms, you feel at home. Just like a person who's singing to the beat, dancing to the beat of the song, feels at home. There's a certain comfort. You feel like you fit in, you belong. In the Kabbalistic discussions, there are more aspects to this, and I want to just refer you to some of them online at our website, meaningoflife.com. 
a number of years ago, we did some Hanukkah events and parties and classes and programs. I did a series called The Physics of Light. The Physics of Hanukkah. And it talks about the parallels. In physics, light being wave and, or particle, same thing you find in the way the Kabbalists explain spiritual light, divine light. And other parallels... <coughs> Excuse me. I just was thinking a sneeze is an imbalanced Ratzai Vishuv because regular breathing, exhale, inhale. Sneeze, there's some block, some impediment. You sneeze, and then you breathe in again. So maybe it's a, a little form of a distorted um, pulse, just as an aside. So on our website, you'll find a series of articles that you can just seek and search and find them to complement some of what we're discussing here. Be great to put out, I mean, we put out small booklets, but it would be a great idea to put out this parallels, lessons in your life from the flames, finding the parallels of our inner soul and outer expression of it. So the Kabbalah fire, the fire that we look at when we see fire, when we see flames, when we see light, is lesson to us. It's right there, a mirror image of what you look like. The fire is too strong. That would be like the spirit dominating over the body, over the physical, and overwhelming it. Obviously, that is not the intention. If the flame is too weak and your material body dominates, that's also not the intention. You need the proper balance, like I mentioned at the outset. The sun has to be close enough but also not too close for it to be able to give us light and warmth without burning up earth and without freezing earth. And the same thing with all experiences like that, for example, in education. When you educate someone, the key to education is not just what you teach, also what you don't teach, the restraint. You give people information, you give your student information, but you always leave a little over their head. If you leave too much over the head, then it's overwhelming and they may not get anything. If you give them too little and spoon feed them too little, you haven't really fed that person's intelligence and mind and spirit. So you have to know how to give, but not give more than necessary, not less. Same thing with parenting. The same thing, frankly, with delegation. Not to over-delegate, not to under-delegate. It's a constant dance. It's a constant pulse. And any area of life, Anything you're dealing with, where you find there's an imbalance, whether it's in your personal life, whether it's in your family life, between spouses, between parents and children, between community members, at work, strife, divisiveness, and so on, you can always trace it somewhere to this imbalance. And if you can identify the imbalance, you can then do things, interventions that will remedy it and rebalance the equation. But it's about the balance. In my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, that I mentioned earlier, on the chapter on intimacy, I have an expression there from the Rebbe that says, when you're close, when you should be distant, you'll be distant when you should be close. Think about that. In a relationship, in love, you need to have space, but you need closeness. There are many people who have very good boundaries and space, but they don't have the intimacy, they're not close. And there are people who are closed but don't have the boundaries. Everyone needs space. Space is not a suggestion of distance. 
It's a suggestion of identities that need to breathe. So a healthy love is not just two people consuming each other and always on top of each other, but it's also recognizing each person has their different interests, they need to be on their own, and then the love gets stronger. How do you explain that? Because life is not black and white. It's not just one direction or the other. It's space as well as connection. Look at the the art of design. Even basic design of a layout on a page. So there's the letters on the page, there's the white space. Ask every designer, white space is even more important than the letters themselves. Even though the white space is just blank. But it's the contrast. If you have very little white space, it'll be very hard to read because the letters will be too big. To dominate too much, it will not be able to have the eye, will not have the balance. You look at a page, you'll see the beauty is, we take it for granted, is that the letters are exactly the, si- the, the right size, not occupying too much, and there's a lot of white space background. Wherever you turn, you're going to find the need for this balance. And the Hanukkah flames teach us that balance in its silent, flickering fashion, transcending and returning, transcending and returning, reflecting the very soul's transcendence and grounding. And the applications I shared are just one are just several of many, many. My objective here is exactly what we learn about the flames, which is, as was said to Aaron, the high priest, when he kindled, and he lit the flames of the menorah in in the temple, in the portable sanctuary that the Jews, when they traveled through the wilderness for 40 years, says, you shall raise the flames. The commentaries, Rashi and the Medrash asks, why? Why does it say kindle the flames? Because the goal is not just to kindle flames, to ignite them, but to make them rise on their own. You see, it takes a moment when you light a flame till it catches and it starts burning on its own. The priest was told you have to wait that, that extra second. Who really cares? Let's say it burns out. So come back and relight it. Because it's the foundation of all human relationships, all education, all illumination. You don't just teach people knowledge, data, information. You teach them methodology. So even when you're not there, the teacher is no longer there. They're rising on their own. They have the tools. You've empowered them. You haven't just taught them. You've empowered them. So wherever they go, they now rise on their own. And they, in turn, can light other flames in the same fashion. That's what happens when you teach methodology. That's the real objective. Because then you create a ripple effect, not just of students, but students being teachers, while they also remain students. Remember, student receiving from the teacher and then transmitting it. And it's a perpetual motion, a ripple effect, like the butterfly effect that can change all of existence. Yet another application of the flame analogy, or I would say the flame um, body, a flame being the body of the soul, of, this, of these messages and these lessons that make that define the building blocks of all of existence, including ourselves. Apply this to your relationships. Apply it to yourself. Apply it to your relationships. Apply it to education. Wherever you turn, apply it. You'll see the magic that it creates because what it does aligns existence, starting with our own and everything around us to the way it was always meant to be. Motion, mobility, 
in the proper pace, proper balance. And when you align yourself with that, then you're not fighting your own natural self. You know, when, you, when something is moving, you want to move along with it. If you try to be stationary, you're going to get caught. If you're moving too fast, it's also not good. You have to go with the rhythm, with the flow, as they say. Go with the flow. When the flow is going, you want to make sure you're aligned with the flow. And this is the flow. The Kabbalah of fire. I want to wish everyone again a happy Hanukkah. May you use these lessons of the flames as we listen to their story, internalize it, activate it, affecting you and affecting everyone around you. It should be a blessed life, an illuminated life, a life of joy and health in every possible way in this season of light and to spread the light and share the light. This is what we feel is our mission, Meaningful Life Center. Please visit us at MeaningfulLife.com. Please share Please comment, suggest. Let's turn this into a mobile, interactive experience. And with that, I want to wish again everyone a beautiful holiday. I want to welcome you also and encourage you to help support us, especially with an end-of-year gift. This is the perfect time, holiday season, end-of-year, tax-deductible donation. We survive on your kindness and generosity. And you can do that easily by going to MeaningfulLife.com slash donate or slash sponsorship. You can sponsor a program in the memory or honor of a loved one. It's a great way to honor someone. And please be in touch with us in every possible way. I also want to share with you, we just opened up a new boutique, calling it the MLC, Meaningful Life Center Boutique. We have stationery. We have a beautiful mystical Kabbalistic poster. Just the beginning of our offerings of capturing the spirit of these messages also in a visual way. So it stimulates not just the spirit, but also the senses, which is part of our mission. We have many good things coming up, which we hope to share in the near future. Everyone be well and be blessed. Thank you so much.